Welcome to On Mike with Jordan Rich. Here on the podcast, I enjoy speaking with performers, actors, singers, dancers, voiceover artists. But it's also a joy talking with the folks behind the scenes who do a lot of the important work that brings stories to life. Today's guest is just such a person, but let me say at the outset that she's also a very talented artist. Besides her work as a voice actor, Sandy Goroff, today's guest, is a sought-after fine art photographer. And you might want to check out her site for that, Sandra Goroff, G-O-R-O-F-F, photography.net. But we're mainly here to talk about her work as a publicist to the stars and beyond. She spent many years with Houghton Mifflin Publishing Company and runs her own business, Sandra Goroff & Associates. Her clients include former President Jimmy Carter, Judy Collins, best-selling writer Clive Cussler, children's author Mari Sendak, radio legend Garrison Keillor, management guru Tom Peters, naturalist Jane Goodall, and even the late Kirk Douglas, to name but a few. So let's pull back the curtain now and examine the life of a real pro publicist, Sandra Gora. Sandy, it's time to go on mic. Well, this is a switch, having the publicist behind the mic for a change. (laughs) Right, Sandy? That's right, Jordan. (laughs) We're going to have some fun. Uh, This is a a business I'm very aware of because I work with people like Sandy a lot known you for many, many years. You're one of the best in the business, and we thought we'd share some stories and some behind-the-scenes stuff. When did you first venture into this field? I was a child, but I got trained by my mother. And I say that honestly because my mother could finagle an appointment, a whatever she wanted. She knew how to finagle it over the phone. So it's about finagling. Well, it's about begging, pleading, cajoling, and finagling on occasion, whatever you need to do. So the personality is what is a high mark for you. You've got the ability to connect with people, first of all, right? Well, I hope so. And uh, I always try to find some sort of commonality with the person I'm talking about, talking to. Mm -hmm. And sometimes it's just through humor. Has the publicity been primarily with authors over the years? It has, but I've also done artists. I've worked with museums and a variety of other unmentionables. Unmentionables. We won't mention them because they're unmentionable. We might, (laughs) but not by name. Well, there are some celebrity names that we'll bring up that are fascinating. The industry has changed, as all industries seem to. uh, People, first of all, are not reading hard copy books as they were 15, 20 years ago, right? People are... Well, I think I've heard recently that it's changed again. Um, I think the thing that changed publishing most uh, significantly was the online world. Mm-hmm. And uh, I mean, there used to be tours for authors and they'd go to every city and do Good Morning Poughkeepsie, as we called it. Yeah. But that doesn't really, those shows don't exist anymore. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of things did change um, and a lot of um, online national things, syndicated things and so forth. Right. Let's talk about the impact of publicity, because we're not talking necessarily about purchased advertising time, but just the opposite, opportunities to put your people out there so that word of mouth will sell product. Well, I've always thought that publicity was a sales tool. Mm -hmm. And in essence, when I get on the phone, I'm really a salesperson. I hate to admit that, but it's true. And um, so I'm looking for that exchange. I provide you, for instance, with entertainment, hopefully. I know I'm Probably made a few mistakes along the way. Never. I've but, never been disappointed by any, talk about any of your amazing guests. <laughs> so I give you entertainment and you give me time and exposure. Mm-hmm. Right. And hopefully that time and exposure will produce awareness and somebody will read about a book, uh, hear about it, 
and then see it at the store and want it. And it does work. I mean, obviously. I think so. Word of mouth, particularly with books. Books are, are social instruments. People love to share ideas. What are you reading? What have you heard? That kind of thing. I, I think so. Um, there's Most recently, there's a great example of that. And it happens to be one of my former authors that I worked with at Houghton Mifflin before I started my own business. And her name is Delia Owens, and you may have heard of her. Her book is called uh, Where the Crawdads Sing. Oh, yes, a biggie. And a total phenomenon. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I worked with her with her ex-husband, Mark, on two little books called The Eye of the Elephant and Cry of the Kalahari. And uh, they were wonderful books about their work in Africa, but of course, I didn't reach the status. What you're talking about is word of mouth. Mm. And to me, uh, whenever I write up a proposal or talk to an author, I'm thinking word of mouth is still the most powerful uh, sales tool or mechanism that's out there. You could go back to the cavemen. One person <laughs> grunted to the other one and told them sure. something is great and so on and so forth. So I still, I think it's the mediums may have changed. We use online. We use different technical things and mechanical things. But the uh, theme is still the same. It's one person mm. raving to another person about something that they've read or seen well, see, and they've I, loved. I'd love to get a little behind the scenes here to talk about what makes for a successful publicity campaign from your point of view and how you approach media, how you approach, first of all, the authors. Let's, let's do step-by-step step, uh, in general terms how it works. Well, that can be a complicated story because with each author comes a unique, sometimes good, sometimes challenging personality, which includes one's ego, which I always have to be aware of. Pretty much the first conversation, I'm sizing them up. They may be sizing me up, but I'm sizing them up and try to see what's important to them, how difficult are they to work with, and so on. But we think about, we want to think about who's the market for the book and uh, how do we reach them. Mm-hmm. All right, ego. I've never met an author who isn't somewhat protective, let's put it that way, of their baby, their creation. And uh, it's everything that they've put into maybe months or years of work. So you can understand that. There's a, it's bad. It's bad. Okay, I'm trying to <laughs> I'm trying to paper it over and no. gloss it over and and give some kind of uh, excuse. But how bad can it get? Well, those stories are things I told you before we got on the air that I I couldn't tell. But um, sometimes people are their own worst enemy, and they have unrealistic expectations, and it makes it very mm. very difficult because there's nothing you can do right, and you know from the beginning. This person is not going to be happy. This person is going to find fault. And no matter what you do, they're not going to be happy. So what do you do in a situation like that? I don't know. I suppose you complain to your friends. When I worked for a regular company, it worked at Houghton Mifflin, I'd have somebody official to complain to. Now I just have to complain to my husband. <laughs> Bert, who's was Bert. a great guy. You know, it reminds me of a story back in the well, maybe early 80s. They used to have press conferences over at what was known as the Wang Theater at the time when some of the big shows would come to town. And I remember distinctly uh, one particular uh, publicist who was really good at her job. She was working the theater district. And Richard Harris, remember him, Richard Oh, Harris. yes, I loved him. He was great. Everybody loved Richard Harris. But when Richard Harris was – when it was shortly after lunch and Richard had had a few, he was not a pleasant chap. And he was so angry and mean-spirited at the publicist. And today, in today's world, he would be 
brought up on on harassment charges, but I felt so sad. And she just basically took it at the time because it was a client. I mean, she had well, to do I'm it. not sure if I could do that, but if the uh, the person is very well known, uh, I, I don't know. You know, I mean, a, how much can you take? When, well, I can't. I'm trying to think of some of the things people <laughs> ask me to do, and I refuse. But I was a young publicist and spunky, and uh, somebody once asked me to uh, pack her suitcase, and I said, well, I don't. That's not something I do. Or, you know, then uh, my husband, who you know, Bert, had uh, experiences uh, with famous people where he walked into a hotel uh, to pick them up and uh, they arrived at the door without clothes. Mm. What about preparation beyond the connections with the media and knowing where people are, knowing how to reach people? You have to read these books and know what it is you're selling, correct? Yes. I have to admit that I don't always read the whole book. It all depends what it is. If it's a, a really interesting novel, though I tend to do, I don't do novels that often, then um, you know, I may read part of it. I may not read the whole thing. I could turn that around and ask you, uh, as a host who's interviewed a gazillion authors, do you always read everything? No, no, absolutely. There's no way to do it. It's impossible, yeah. as you are finding. What I do with a novel, however, is read it pretty much cover to cover because a novel can go in any which direction. But if it's a book about uh, self-help or business or yeah. science or something, I've figured out my own method of skimming and scanning and, and fine points, mm -hmm. um, you know, finding the fine points, et cetera. You just have to do what you have to do. When an author comes in, the publisher gives them an author questionnaire to fill out. Mm -hmm. And it really is a guide to the what is it and why now. The two most important questions, the what is it and why now? That's great. And I imagine on your side of the fence, it must drive you crazy when somebody in media, radio, TV, or print has no idea what they're doing in terms of questions and follow-up. And I've had guests tell me, probably guests you've been aware of, they tell me, well, this is odd. You actually read the book or at least studied it or knew something I about it. I have heard it. that about you. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, I'm not the only one, but I mean, it, I've heard that that others have just kind of asked inane questions because they have no idea what they're Well, directing. I assume, and I try to prepare the authors, I assume that the host has not read the book mm -hmm. and uh, give that sense uh, to the author uh, that way they can prepare themselves because my thought is you always want to be in control of the interview. So I, I have them jot down what are their major points, their key messages, and so forth. So even if the host goes astray and doesn't make any sense at all, they can carry the interview. They might say, for instance, well, what you say, Jordan, is interesting, but what's even more interesting is that A, B, or C. So you're giving them the coaching ahead of time, knowing what they might face. Oh, sure. Have to. But it all depends on the person. Some people don't want coaching and know everything. We know those. You've had those. <laughs> yes. And uh, so it's a, you know, in a way, it's like being a psychologist. I always thought when I, when I was at Houghton Mifflin on the author questionnaire, I thought they left out the most important question. And that would be, can you please describe your relationship with your mother? I see where you're going with that. We <laughs> talked about... Uh, her finagling ability. That's true. I, I, I don't realize how much my mother, uh, what, how much she instilled in me. But you have to do more than just set up the interviews and oh, set up sure. the publicity. You're, you're giving them uh, a boost if they need it. You're giving them uh, uh, fashion advice, as yes. you say. Yes, yes. Fashion advice, uh, family counseling, <laughs> uh, dietary uh, suggestions. 
you name it. And so many things when the author goes out on tour, which they used to do more than they do now, there's so many crazy things that can come up that we really used to get hysterical about. But now, you know, when I think about it, sometimes I sit back and I, I think I haven't done very much. And then I have a moment and I realize where I've been, who I've met, what I've done. And I say, gee, that was fantastic. Well, you've done some amazing things uh, on a regular basis with, shall we say, the the average writer, not the superstar name, but what the and putting them on the map. I think that's that's a credit to what you do. It is uh, much more the average writer. It's uh, against all perception. It's not glamorous. Have I've had my moments. I sat in the back of a limousine with a pink-haired fashion designer once. I toured a talking bird. I want to know about the talking bird. But before we (laughs) ask that question and get specifically into some stories, what happens when you've booked a major author and you've spent all this time, maybe weeks, setting up the appointments on, let's say, the Today Show and all these other big network, and then something happens, uh, a plane goes down. You just, it's You cry. You can't can't do anything about it. Uh, I've had people die in the middle of a tour. Oh, you've lost some. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So um, you have to call up all the hosts and producers, and how, how do you explain that? It's uh, it's not easy, but, you know, things happen. Or let's think about what must have happened on the set on the Today Show uh, during the morning of 9-11. Oh, yeah. Everything was, was gone for months at that point. You had nothing. You had to scrap it all. I and mean. I couldn't uh, book anything. Right. And uh, really, your business goes down the toity. And not only, I mean, to you, you say, it's totally understandable. I can't talk about this because it's common sense. You know, I remember calling CNN. They say, I can't talk to you. I'm on, with the, I'm on the phone with the Middle East or whatever the war right. was right. at the time. And you just, uh, you have to have an understandable boss uh, so that they truly get it that, you cannot call. And if you did, you'd ruin your own reputation. No, absolutely. It, it's, I've dealt with uh, certain individuals who are insistent that we keep an interview that is scheduled in the middle of a crisis, a national or international crisis. Did you run it? Uh, no, of course not. You, know, you just have to say, sorry, this is, takes precedence. But some people don't understand that. It's amazing how uh, people don't have a lot of common sense mm. in a situation like that. And I, I think, you know, you have to be able to think for yourself and make decisions that you feel at the time are right. And you make those independently. Mm. Talking with Sandy Goroff, one of the best publicists in the business. And let's talk about the talking bird, first of all. That was a long time ago. But How, I, how do you represent uh, an animal of well, that nature? Well, a woman on the Cape had a talking bird named Arnie. This is a silly story, really, but I loved her. And uh, the book was about the bird, and so we decided to tour them. And uh, we did, And but you had to get special meals for the bird in the morning, brought up by room service and so on and so forth. <laughs> now, Unfortunately, I was a young publicist then. Did the bird perform on cue? Uh, kind of. bird could talk. And uh, you're giving me a look. No, I'm just wondering if the your bird audience just, can't see the look. If you're the giving bird me. decides on uh, Dave Garraway, whatever the heck it is, that he doesn't want you to just talk that your day. Age. I, well, yeah, <laughs> I like to be relatable to my audience. If the bird decides he's he's not in the mood to talk, what do you do? I guess uh, you just do the best you can. You punt, I guess. <laughs> I guess you do the best you can. But the tour was successful. The bird made it uh, around the country alive, and thus. 
a piece of my history. Wow. I wonder if the bird ended up on NBC, the home of the peacock. Anyway, enough <laughs> of that. Let's talk about one of my favorite interviews because it was very special and it's it's one of my highlights. And that was what you arranged for me to talk to a living, truly a living legend as we speak, Kirk Douglas. How did that happen? Well, that was that was a special that was actually, I don't know if I've ever told you this, but that was a gift to you for me because many times I would call you and I'd be pitching sort of middle of the road authors. And you were always very gracious and were willing to give them a try. Sometimes they turned out to be interesting and sometimes oh, yeah. not. But I appreciated that support over the years. And it really was fun being in a position to be able to decide who's going to interview who based on my own experiences. That happened to me with uh, Jimmy Carter, too, in which a, a lot of people, hosts who hadn't been quite so kind to me, uh, they didn't get the interview. You got the interview with uh, Kirk Douglas because, well, I knew you could uh, handle the situation well. And I was protective of you, but I was also protective of him. He was at that time, he was almost 100 years old. And it's something I, and I, I couldn't do a lot of radio with him. He'd had a stroke, mm. uh, as I think everybody knows, and his speech was impaired. But I knew that you would be able to uh, edit and deal with it. And so it was It was something I, I wanted you to be able to do. And that's the truth. I remember distinctly, first of all, how excited I was. I mean, this is a living Hollywood legend who was, you know, bigger than life. And I remember getting that opportunity through you and making the call and, and his wonderful assistant was there who answered the phone and then put him right on. And we did a about a half-hour chat about his book on poetry, right? That's right. Yeah. yeah. What I ended up doing was isolating uh, key answers, editing them a bit, just a bit, and put together a piece. And uh, the first person I played it for was you. And it was exciting being I had come in here into the studio, and I was with you when you did that interview. Oh, that's right. Which yeah. was so really exciting for me because a lot of times when you work with somebody – of that stature, you don't get to interact with them on a daily basis. Fortunately, the people who worked with him were wonderful. Mm -hmm. And so was he. Uh, but uh, we had a conversation and you said to him, uh, Mr. Douglas, or KD as he was called, mm -hmm. uh, I have somebody here who wants to say hello to you. And uh, I got on and he said, this is Sandy Goroff and so on and so forth. And she sent you the chicken soup for your birthday and on and on we go. And he asked me in that voice how old I was. Well, I wasn't sure I wanted to tell him. <laughs> I just had a birthday and I'm not going to say it now. But uh, I told him, silly girl, and he said to me, you're too old for me. <laughs> yeah, he was great. He was, was so adorable. So sweet and and such a lovely book by the way. The book was It was terrific, lovely. Yeah. Terrific. Um that was one of the the highlights uh when I got the chance to talk to him. Now, let's talk about some of the other famous. You mentioned Jimmy Carter. What's it like repping a former president when you're dealing with protocol and secret service and things? Oh, like I that? loved getting secret service clearance. That was really cool. Ah. That was really fun. Um, well, in the case of Jimmy Carter, I was my assignment was only to do Boston media. So I basically I what I liked about it was, well, first of all, it was fabulous meeting him. And he was just lovely. I woke up that morning. He's staying at the Parker House in the appropriately named presidential suite. And I had a terrible head cold. And I, but I was thinking, I am not 
not going in. I have to go. Mm. And I did. And he was completely lovely to me. I walked in. He hugged me. And um, it was also, again, the same thing as I mentioned with you, with Kirk Douglas. It was great to be able to handpick the media that I wanted, people I respected who'd been good to work with. And he was a, he was a pro. He was lovely. And he was gracious to every person who came in the room. Mm. I noticed that with some people. You know, I learned a lot over the years, not just about books and not just about the subjects, but about what it is to be a decent human being and how you treat other people, whether you're famous or not. Whether you're a former president or a movie star or right. or uh, an economics professor. And uh, so many of these people were, uh, they didn't have an obnoxious bone in their body. They were just gracious and another person that falls into that category was Archibald Cox, mm. the special Watergate prosecutor. Who was fired I, by Nixon, right? Right. Timely, mm. isn't that? A yes. timely mention. But he was uh, lovely. He had a sweet tooth, and he liked Hershey's kisses <laughs> after every interview. But again, he was the person who greeted everyone who came into the room, the sound person, the camera person, the this or that, and... Uh, these were these. Were, I was a young publicist. These were good things for me to see, and things that have stayed with me over the years. Yeah, they help shape your approach to life when you meet people like that. And and we're all working on the same team here. That that's the thing that I've always thought about when I'm dealing with somebody like you, the guest, the the the, the audience. We're all together in this planet, trying to get things done, move forward, and it's a lot more helpful when people are nice to work with. <laughs> Well, it is, and, and we both know that doesn't always happen. What's the James Bond story, James Bond private oh, eye Oh, I did story. have a real-life James Bond private eye who uh, embodied all the characteristics of that personality. His name was James Deere, Bill Deere, excuse mm -hmm. me. And uh, he had a variety of stories and lived in a crazy wild house with an underwater canal and uh, just did a lot of crazy fun media I was actually with him. He was with me when I took Rosalind Carter to to WBZ. Ah. And he was busy uh, walking around trying to protect me the, oh. in case anything should happen. That's pretty cool to have somebody of that. Yeah. Ilk. But it's also cool, as I'm looking over the list here, to people like uh, Maurice Sendak. Oh, my God. Yeah. That's one of the, the, the heroes I'll of tell you children secret. everywhere. Maurice Sendak hated Oprah. He hated who hates Oprah? <laughs> Maurice Sendak did. Okay, wow. And uh, that brings to mind the question about Oprah. Uh, is that the king of the the hill or Not the queen of me. the hill? To me, for, I for know. I know people feel that way. They feel that way about getting the front page of the New York Times. But uh, I think it all depends upon the the book and the person. I've had people in the past on Oprah, and it wasn't a phenomenon and didn't sell like crazy. Interesting. So it, it all depends. It isn't a, a given. There are a couple of other names here that I would be remiss if I didn't ask you about. Jane Goodall. Oh, I have a great story about Jane Goodall. Okay. May I? Sure. Jane Goodall. The day I worked with her, and I um, was a big fan of hers, and I was very excited about meeting her. She had uh, she developed a corneal ulcer mm. and was very uncomfortable in front of lights. So I, I took her to my mother's eye doctor. You know, all these stories revolve they around my mother. They all have to do with your lovely mother. <laughs> God rest her soul. Gone for five years, but yes. Um, so uh, this is a, an eye doctor who you could not get an appointment with. But I called him up and said, Dr. Floyd, I have Jane Goodall. You, you know my mother, Lil. She brings you lunch when you're busy. 
I have Jane uh, Jane Goodall here, and she has a problem with her eye. Bring her right in, Sandy. <laughs> See, that's what what makes you special because you're more than just the person arranging the interviews and getting the publicity. You're a, a tour de force when people need help. So we went in to you know Ken, everybody. We went into Kenmore Square, and uh, I say we uh, bonded during while her pupils were dilating. But you know, it, it it goes on and on. As it turned out, she had the corneal ulcer. And we had to get, and she didn't carry any money in her bag on top of that. You know, again, I'm a young publicist. I have to explain my expenditures Mm. to the business office. So I had to end up explaining why I paid for uh, an eye doctor. Then the limousine guy had to go to the mass ioneer to get two special vials of eye drops, which had to be taken on the hour during the night. So not only did I do all that, but I had to stay up all night. You gave her the eye drops? I didn't put the eye drops in her eyes, <laughs> no. Oh. I uh, had to call her on the hour. She was at the Four Seasons. And you I had to call her on I, the hour? I had to call her on the hour. Oh, my gosh. This is in the day before, you know, cell phone alarm clocks and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, it was crazy. Reminders. It was, it was it, beside being uh, nutty, it was uh, a good experience, of course, and she was uh, lovely, but... Uh, mm. I thought she should walk around with a little money in her pocket. <laughs> yeah, you're the terrific. I want to ask you about two more people, then I want to talk photography with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, I met this lady uh, twice, and I interviewed her at least twice. And one time I actually introduced her at Symphony Hall. That's Judy Collins. I fell in love with her as a human being. Just in my, This is me. I thought she was lovely. I mm-hmm. hope that was the same She for was you. nice. She was okay. Yes. I'll, I'll leave it at that. She was nice. Okay. Um, Judy Collins. Story, Judy Collins. Almost lost her at the airport. These things happen. Oh, well. <laughs> Sent my young assistant in. Go find Judy Collins. Okay, here's what I would say a fabulous experience. Her voice is exquisite. Mm. We know that. And just send shivers up your spine. And uh, she was doing an event in Newton. I got to uh, be with her in the green room. And she was doing her vocal exercises. And that was one of the most special things, yeah. to be there and listen to that. Uh, there's one more name here, and I just recently had him on this podcast, and it was a great thrill because I've been a fan, and that's Garrison Keeler. And he, of course, is well-known for all the work he did on NPR and so forth, but he's also had some controversy over the last couple of years. When that happens, are you ever thinking, do I really want to do this knowing what I might face, or is it, hey, I'm up for the challenge? No, that doesn't, uh, at this point, nothing really scares me. And I don't mean, I'm not saying that to be pompous, obnoxious, or whatever. It's truly, uh, these are, you know, these are human beings like the rest of us. And with their experience and their uh, fame, uh, a variety of things happen along the way. I actually find it interesting. And there was a lot of conversation, though not with him, with his staff, and and been something that we discussed at length and decided to do. By the way, I want to mention that he did an interview with you, as you mentioned, and he absolutely loved that interview and posted it all over the place. Yeah, no, I we had a great conversation because we, we focused on radio and we focused on his love of language. And, you know, I stayed on topic. I didn't stray because I didn't want to. I didn't think it was I necessary. also told you not to. You told me not to. And I always <laughs> listen to my mommy, uh, Sandy, my mommy. She's my age, a little older. Anyway, let's talk about photography. Okay. Because 
the other part of you is the artistic part. And I have in my home a beautiful picture that you gave us uh, when we got married, my wife and I. And you've been doing photography for a lot of years and are, are published as a photographer. That's true. I got the ex- the opportunity to be on the other side of the publicity thing because I, I actually promoted myself. I was going to say, did you hire a PR person no. or are you shoemaker here? I, I actually say? promoted myself. Uh, the book, which is called Solitary Soul, and it's still on Amazon. You see how I slipped that in? Uh, it's well done. <laughs> I, I would do it anyway at the conclusion, but go ahead. And uh, so I got to be on the other side of uh, gently pitching myself. And uh, it's not easy. It's somewhat awkward. But I, I enjoyed it. It was, it was a good experience for me. When did you start uh, photography? Oh, many years ago, probably 25 years mm-hmm. ago. And uh, I didn't grow up in a home with a lot of financial resources. So I don't even remember that we had a camera. Uh, and when I look back, we had no photos of when I was a little kid, uh, except for when my uncle Sid would come to the house with his, he was rich and come with his camera. But anyway, so I, I, I was thinking about how the, what I do as a publicist is similar to what I do as a photographer. And that's because I'm telling stories. So do you. I'm telling stories. I'm telling stories visually, and I'm telling stories uh, as I present various authors mm. for interviews and promotion. That's great. Uh, your work is beautiful. Uh, give everyone now the website so that they can take a look at it. I thank you. It's Sandra Goroff, G-O-R-O-F-F, like Frank, dot com. There's one more thing about you that I want to share with the audience, one more point of interest. I know what it is. You do? Yeah. You, uh, under a pseudonym, would call me when I was doing live radio on WBZ in the late nights. And for a long time, I didn't know it was you. It took me a little while to figure out who you were. But you've been a – you're obviously a a light sleeper, I'm guessing, right? (laughs) Yes. But you used to call regularly and and always interesting stuff that you'd bring to the table. Well, I use my middle name. I did this with Larry Glick, Lee from Brookline. And you're Lee. I'm sitting here with Lee from Brookline. You realize when that? I met Bill Winokur for the first time, who's the musician? Musician. Uh, he would call too, and I just went up to him and said, "I'm Lee from Brookline," and we had an, <laughs> we had an instant, an instant bond. It's it's a beautiful recollection of mine. The regulars, and you you were one of that set of regulars. I used to call it. Uh, if you were a disc jockey, you'd be playing records all night. In this case, the callers were the music of the night, the interesting 45s. And <laughs> your be. listeners, especially now, uh, just long to hear your voice and long for that uh, companionship during the night, which is a whole other subject. It's a whole other subject, and it's a sad subject because that's going away from so many of the local radio stations. That's a sense of, without getting into any detail— it's a sense of community, and uh, when things change, I immediately think of the listeners. I think about how, uh, what a connection that they have and how lost they are without it. Well, we're thankful that you're doing what you're doing still and quite well, bringing interesting people to the airwaves and, and the newspapers and so forth. This podcast is all about, as I say in the introduction, conversation. Without conversation, without dialogue, without connections, we're lost. We're alone. We're solitary souls, if you will. But I'm so glad that you joined us. And for people who want to have the best publicist on the planet work for them, they can reach you through your website. It is www.sandragoroff.com. And what's on your nightstand, book-wise? What are you reading? 
You know, I love, well, I love art, but I also love science. I'm going to buy Brian Greene's new book. He's great. Yeah. I, he's, when I was thinking, would you ask me, who would I like to work with that I haven't worked with? And I came up with um, Carl Sagan. Mm. Not going to have that opportunity now. Michio Kaku. Love him. Love him. One of my favorite people. Yeah. I've never worked with him. Oh, he's I the best. want to desperately. And uh, Brian Greene from The String Theory. And now a book on, um, it's again, it's a cosmic uh, book, science-related, obviously. And that's what I like to read. I also loved uh, Delia Owen's um, Where the Crawdads Sing. I read that in day and a half. People are raving still. It's still on the bestseller list, I believe. It's, Have you read it? No. I've got, I've got to get to it. I think, I sort of think it's more of a woman's book, but... Um, you're a sensitive reader. Sensitive I'm a sensitive man. man. You are. A male of the 90s who grew <laughs> up. Hey, Sandy, this has been delightful. You've been a friend and a colleague and a great, great companion through this uh, magical mystery tour of mine. I want to thank you so much and, and continued success with all the work you do. Thank doing. you, Jordan. It's really been fun being here. My thanks to Sandra Goroff, a.k.a. Sandy. Her website is sandragoroff, G-O-R-O-F-F.com. And for more on her fine art photography, visit sandragoroffphotography.net. And thank you for subscribing to this podcast, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Creative Conversation is alive and well right here. Till next time, Jordan saying, be well so you can do good. <laughs>